Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise Your Voice. My name is Jackie Spinell, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Zazu Scott, who is a student at Cornell University and a fellow at the organization Our Climate. Zazu, welcome. How are you today? Hey, Jacqueline. Rock on. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So to start off, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little, a little bit about who you are, your interests, your passions, pretty much what makes you you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Zazu. As I said, I use she, her, hers pronouns. I'm originally from the good state of California, but I moved to New York to go to school. Uh, and I'm, I'm a third year at Cornell. Um, I love peanut butter and rock climbing. Um, and, you know, the, the fires in California really impacted me growing up. I, you know, I remember getting seasonal depression in the summer and running laps in my uh, kitchen because I couldn't go outside. Um, so that really like pushed me uh, to get involved with the climate movement in New York. Um, yeah. Awesome. I, I like peanut butter too. Um, <laughs> one time so, I ate a whole jar in one day. <laughs> so just do you want to elaborate a little bit more about how you got involved with the with climate activism? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said before, you know, the fires in California are really like impacted me emotionally. Um, and, and ultimately like my concern for my home in California is what drives me to action in New York. I first really encountered the climate movement uh, when I came to school at Cornell, but at first I was really intimidated. I didn't really feel like I could be a part of it. Uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with uh, the, the presence of class at Cornell. Um, you know, it's an Ivy League institution, it's very professional class, and that's not me. Uh, so when I first encountered the movement, I really like wanted to be part of it so badly, but I just, I just couldn't get myself to do it. I felt really intimidated. And I was sick of people saying, you know, working class people feel X, uh, you know, and then a minute later saying my parent, the professor, and it really, it really bugged me, right. Um, but over time, um, I just really came to this conclusion, like the climate movement is the future. Like there is no getting out of this existential crisis. Um, and so I really pushed myself to um, get involved with the movement anyway. Uh, and, and the organization, Our Climate, um, really helped me to do that work. So Our Climate is a youth government education organization that really works to make sure that youth are plugged into the climate activism scene. Uh, in, in their states. So our climate uh, connected me with the coalition New York Renews, uh, which is New York's most prominent climate justice coalition um, that fought to pass New York's Green New Deal back in 2019. And right now we're fighting to pass a bill called the Climate and Community Investment Act, which would make polluters pay and invest in the neighborhoods that need it. Um, so yeah, through our climate, I just learned a lot about uh, the actual policy work. And, and since then, um, I really found like my role is to link the grassroots movement to tangible policy advocacy. That's very interesting. And especially how you were able to take uh, something that you, an issue that you experienced um, emotionally and also just physically in your childhood and really take action with that. That's really great. So you talked a little bit about the Green New Deal and learning about policies through our climate. So what do you think of the current political climate? Yeah, I mean, good Lord. <laughs> this is a moment like no other. I mean, I think 
The first thing I'll say is the stakes have really been raised. Something happened back in March or April, but uh, yeah, with, with COVID, with the murder of George Floyd, um, the biggest reckoning with racism since the 60s, uh, and the building climate justice movement, um, I feel like our political climate just went on steroids. Um, and, and I feel like for me, you know, I always used to be obsessed with the 60s and 70s and, and it became really clear, this is my 60s and 70s moment. Like if I asked myself, who would I have been then? Like now is the answer, is, or is the time to answer that question. Um, so, so I think it's really, it's really charged, um, but with that, there are a lot of possibilities. Um, yeah, I mean, with the Senate flipped and with Biden in office, I am hopeful. Um, that we will be able to enact tangible policy change on local, state, and federal levels. I think um, the possibility for climate action looks a lot different today than it did three years ago. I mean, you know, Joe Biden's going to rejoin Paris on, on his first day. Um, you know, and that being said, I also feel like it's really important to acknowledge the wave of fascism that's um, overwhelming our country right now. And, you know, I think I think for me, you know, I grew up in a conservative town. Uh, so when the insurrection took place a week or so ago now, um, my reaction was, of course, <laughs> like I, I knew this was coming. This is a natural consequence of the rhetoric that Trump has been spouting for the last four years, but more particularly since the election. Um, you know, if you make claims that an election is fraudulent, uh, there are going to be consequences. People are going to want to defend their democracy. So I think in a weird way, um, fascist actors' actions make sense. <laughs> uh, and um, I think that something that we need to remember in the climate movement is like, that's a very real um, proportion of our population. And we need to take uh, proactive action uh, in delegitimizing those arguments. For sure. And I'm glad how you also highlighted what you're hopeful for, because I think, especially during this time, it's it's difficult often to see outside of the fog and to, to see, you know, what positives can possibly come out of this. I know tomorrow's the inauguration. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to see what is to come for our country. So what is what do you think is the role of young people during this time? Yeah, I mean, I really believe that young people are the vanguard of the movement. Um, you know, we have the biggest stake in this. Like the rest of our lives are at stake. Like our parents and our parents' parents, for them, climate change was an idea. For us, climate change is an experience. Um, it's the life that we live. Um, and, and so I think that there's an urgency uh, amongst our generation, amongst Gen Zers that wasn't there before. Uh, and because of that, we have huge, a huge power to mobilize. Um, we saw it at the youth climate strike and we see it every day in our communities um, as we fight um, for local ordinances, improving our building policy as we phone bank in Georgia. Um, youth are carrying us. For sure, youth really are uh, the future. And I've, I've, all, I've seen a lot of youth really um, standing up for what they believe um, what they uh, believe in, especially during this time, is so controversial and, and polarized. So in terms of your involvement with our climate, where does that fit into what you've described? Yeah, 
Yeah, so I think our climate's role is to educate and to make sure that young people know not just that they can make, make a difference, but like how specifically they can do it. One thing that we like to say our climate is that like our climate's role is to ask for solutions by name, by name. Um, some organizations just ask for solutions and that's really important. Like just creating that energy and urgency and saying we need action now, that's important, right? But our climate's role more specifically is to say, we've got a problem and this is the solution. This is the policy we need. Um, yeah, this is the law that we need. This is exactly the roadmap for how we're gonna get there. Um, so for me, you know, I've always been action oriented um, and that's a really natural plug. And I think more particularly, um, you know, one of the 12 traits of white, white supremacy culture is urgency culture. Uh, and I think that's really real. But I think on the flip side, another trait of white supremacy culture can be complacency. Um, it's a lot of talk about problems without a lot of action for solutions. So for me, our climate's work, um, plugging into the New York Renews Coalition um, and working for these really essential policies feels like the anti-complacency um, anti culture um, because we're pushing for the action that our communities need. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think definitely change starts with education and you can do so much from that. So talking a little bit about now your specific activism, what do you hope to accomplish and where do you see yourself in the next couple of months and years? Oh my goodness, what a crazy question. I feel, also feel like it's a loaded question right now. Um, I mean, I think, I think prerequisite is like, there's so much uncertainty in the world right now. Um, it's a hard time to be a college student and, and be trying to land internships when, you know, if you want to work at the Capitol, well, the Capitol is being invaded. So nobody really wants to think about interns. Um, but, you know, anyway, so in my work, I hope to link the grassroots to advocacy. So that takes form a lot of different forms. Um, I helped organize a grassroots lobby effort for the Climate and Community Investment Act. And one of my goals with that was to make sure that youth felt prepared to engage with their legislators and tell their legislators like what they wanted. Um, another role that plays is like helping folks use digital organizing tools to target their legislators. So another thing, um, another project that I was working on, we launched a, a digital advocacy campaign targeting uh, Governor Cuomo and urging him to pass the Climate and Community Investment Act. We asked people to post and then tag him uh, directly so we can have that grassroots engagement. Um, so, you know, ultimately, like I already said, like, I really feel that um, the grassroots really has the power to decide where we go. Uh, and so I really want to link that power to um, yeah, tangible solutions um, that don't just sound good, but that will actually in function um, impact our neighborhoods. Um, and in doing so, I hope that I can pass skills on to other people um, so that they too can start lobbying, start organizing protests, uh, start putting together petitions and, and stuff like that. That's, that's really great. It's, I always uh, say to 
myself and to my friends that it's not just about talking the talk, but it's also about walking the walk and going through with with what you what you say you're going to do. So we also we talked a little bit about where young people fit in the political climate. Can you talk now about how young people fit into the environmental movement and fight for adequate policies? How can they help? Where should they start, etc.? Yeah, oh my goodness. So I think so many systems of decision-making are really set out to exclude young people, BIPOC people, working class people, LGBTQ people. Um, but I think one of the key ways that they do that is by making people think their voice doesn't matter. Um, and so I think the place where young people should start is just really believing that they can have an impact. Um, I used to always think like I was waiting for other people to organize an action or, or, or do, just like I felt like they were more prepared, right? Uh, or they had more experience, they were more credentialed. And I think, I think the place for young people to start is like to stop thinking that and just um, jump right in. Um, so, you know, to answer the part of the question, um, you know, where do young people fit into the environmental movement and the fight for adequate policies? I mean, you know, I'll be really honest. I think that young people are a voice for true progressive values, true redistribution, um, combating corporate power, uh, and making our society more equitable. I think young people um, haven't been institutionalized and have the opportunity and the power to be radical. Uh, and I, and I think, um, there's, there's real strength in that. There's a, a spirit of revolution in that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'll just give an example here. Um, the Thrive Agenda, uh, is an agenda for climate justice that includes, uh, strong, well-paid labor-protected jobs. Um, and it's, you know, kind of coming to national attention right now. Uh, and the Thrive Agenda is a direct result of countless organizers in Sunrise Movement. Um, and it's also one of the most progressive agendas that our country has faced in a while. Um, and, and so, you know, all that's to say, like, I think that youth organizing works and I think it matters because youth are progressive as heck. <laughs> that's a great message to emphasize, especially I'm a lot of the demographic that's listening to this is youth. So I, I, that's a great message. So what do you wish you had known when you first got involved with environmental activism and also in activism in general? Oh my goodness. Okay, this is a lovely question because there are so many so many good answers to this. So I'm gonna have a multi-pronged answer. So the first thing I was kind of saying this a bit before, but it's like, you, you, you gotta be your own hero, you know? Um, there's nobody who is more prepared for this work than you, even if you've never done it before. Like if you're called to do it, then you should do it. It's super cheesy, but it's just real, right? Like, um, like you gotta stop scrolling and you gotta just like get up and like hop on the Zoom meeting and like take responsibilities and go for it. So like, I just, I just wanna push people to do that. And, you know, more particularly, like 
I think that while the climate justice movement of today really tries to be class inclusive, it can still be a really elite space. Um, and I just want to say to everybody who like struggles with that, like your voice matters, like you are the person we're fighting for and you are the leader that we need. Um, okay, so then the second thing I would say that I wish I knew before doing entering this movement and, and really going deep in organizing work is that, you know, this is actually work. It's not recreation. It's not um, just for kicks. And I think, you know, in our capitalist society, we feel like work means that you're not passionate about it. So because you're passionate about organizing, it feels like, oh, this is just for fun. I can do it wherever, whenever. I can do it on Saturday. I can do it at night. Um, you know, I'm not gonna draw boundaries for myself. And I think we need to remember, no, like organizing is work and you get to have boundaries. Um, you get to not take meetings after a certain hour. You get to turn off your phone. Um, yeah, I just think that organizers really would benefit from taking a moment to breathe and to strategize. I think sometimes we think that if we take a moment off, um, we're weakening our movement, but I don't think that's true at all. I think when we take a moment to breathe, we make our own organizing more effective, uh, and then we really can give back more. For sure. I, I definitely relate to that myself. Taking a break for yourself is, is always something to prioritize. So I always like to ask this at the end of every episode. Zazu, how do you think that your activism and your work has changed you as a person? <laughs> okay, I'm going to need a moment to think because this is a hard hitter. Honestly, I, I don't know if I've ever actually thought about this before. <laughs> so I think... You know, I, growing up, I always was kind of like an angsty kid, <laughs> you know, I would rant a lot and um, I just was looking for something. I was always looking for something um, and organizing has given my life purpose and community. Um, it grounds me, it empowers me. Um, it makes me feel really solid in myself. Um, I think women in particular are taught that, you know, like our destiny is, is, is a man, like to marry a man. And like, when we meet a man that like we love, like that's kind of the end of the book for us. Right. Um, and I think, you know, despite, despite the fact that I'm queer, I think I, I really felt that is what well. like I, I felt like I would never really be happy until I just like had some dude on my on my arm um that like and and it, that relationship was right for me um but I honestly think that <laughs> as crazy as it sounds like organizing and activism has has fulfilled that need um and I think it's really like awesome um that like organizing has um like helps me recover from some of the heteronormative tropes that really um, confined my mind when I was growing up. Um, and yeah, I mean, cheers. <laughs> uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, for sure. And I think I think that's that's wonderful. And I hope that serves as motivation for for other people to, uh, I guess, be activists for whatever they feel. <laughs> 
that's a wonderful note to end on. Zazu, thank you so much for being here today. Listeners, as always, thank you for your support and I'll see you all next week. Amazing. Great to be here. Thank you.